1: And I think what I realized at a young age is I always thought it would just be like you're a high schooler and you're in college and you might drink. But then you're an adult and then you're responsible and then it just goes away and there's no such thing as alcoholism. And it's like, no, that can last your whole life if that's the path you choose
2: this is the knocking doors down podcast i speak with those who have taken the darkest times of their lives and share their stories to educate motivate and inspire others to be their best self that's what Knockin' doors down is all about i'm your host jason i accepted that i'm powerless against alcohol and in my sobriety I've confronted my unaddressed childhood and adult trauma, as well as severe anxiety and depression. My guest on this episode, Melissa Bright, the host of the Bright Side of Life podcast. Melissa is an award-winning podcaster who focuses on mental health and self-care. She struggled with depression and anxiety, as well as the trauma of losing her mother. We discuss how the loss of her mother has continued to affect her well over a decade later, how her childhood and her parents' divorce affects her in her current relationship. We also talk the importance of not looking external of yourself for fulfillment and we get into some fun random questions and of course Melissa leaves us with inspiring final words. For more on Melissa Bright, go to the com. If this is your first time listening, please hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and please subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. All the links are in the description. We couldn't do knocking doors down without 5150LTM. If you want some cool hats, shirts, sweatshirts, maybe some sweatpants, I've got my favorite camouflage 5150 sweatpants on right now. Head on over to the store and check it out by going to 5150LTM.com or click the link in the podcast description. Then at checkout, use the code KDD20. That's KDD20 and get 20% off your entire order. Welcoming to Knocking Doors Down, the host of the Bright Side of Life podcast, Melissa Bright. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited.
2: Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of your work. I got a lot of stuff to dig into, but I really want to start with an area that I know that that you like to point out as well as I do the necessity of resilience. Mm. I want to start there and then we'll kind of give people some backstory, but how do you view resilience with everything that you've been through? Because it's you know, it's it's a lot of trauma, it's a lot of healing.
1: Yeah. So I recently just did uh an article on resilience and It's so weird because I'm in such a weird headspace now. So I'm going to be totally upfront and honest. Like these past two months, I've been in like this weird funk of um, really lacking like physical energy, like super tired, chronic fatigue, that kind of stuff. So when you ask that question now, when we all think of resilience, it's like getting knocked down and then getting back up again. And this knockdown can take a day where you just had a crappy day and you get back up to years. Um, but I think the most important part and where I always find the most important part of resiliency is, is choosing to always get back up despite whatever we have went through, whatever we have been faced with. Um, And sometimes the same exact situation, the same exact trauma, the same exact thing can knock you down several times. Mm -hmm. You know, mine recently in terms of like when I lost my mom 11 years ago, that hasn't affected me until 2020 majorly. And then I was fine. And then this year it's all over again. And I'm like, it's just like ebbs and flows, Um, which just proves to me that like, a healing journey is obviously not linear. Yeah. Um, you can go back and forth. You can have your great days and you can have your struggling days. Um, But it's important to know that like you have people in your corner and that you can get back up and you can rise again and and fight. And I, I,
2: I agree. I think a lot of people, and I don't know if we're, we're sold on it because we all definitely get our Hollywood movie stories where it's, <laughs> you know, Challenge, 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 resilience, uh, you know, ends with a nice button and life just doesn't work that way, especially when Mm -hmm. it comes to love, because I was going to ask you, what what do you think had brought you down? A lot of people, I think, are feeling that right now, don't you? I think we're just in a weird time.
1: We are in a weird time, but this is what is so well, I can tell you what mine is, and I'm going to be completely honest with you and your whole audience. (laughs) So and I know you just talked to Tim McCarthy about him taking medicine, you taking yeah. medicine. And last year in April, I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, which is no surprise. I've suffered from debilitating anxiety since my mom passed away 10 years ago. So they put me on, um, Oh my God. What did they put me on? I can't even remember. Let's <laughs> say I think Prozac it was. Oh, well, I think that's what it was. Now I can't remember. Anyways, I know that it says causes drowsiness. Mine was immediately chronic fatigue. Like I felt I had been awake for days on this medicine. And I'm like, I don't think I can do this. Like, cool, my anxiety is not here, but I feel like I've been awake for four days. And I'm like, "This this has only happened since I've started this medicine. So then I started taking Kratom. I don't know if you're familiar with kratom. I've heard about it. Okay, well, it's like a natural. It's natural, and it. I'm gonna freaking butcher this, and people are probably (laughs) yelling and stuff. But for me, it gave me it. It's made me speed and gave me energy. Sure. But then followed by speeding, then you would have like this crash. Well, I was taking it all the time. Um, so just highs and lows, highs and lows, highs and lows, highs and lows. Um, and then I realized that that was giving me really bad fatigue. So I was trying to get off of this like the past month and the withdrawals were. Oh, so not fun. Oh, And that's where it really, really put me in a really depressed spot because I am such like a go-getter. And so to have my physical, energy already in question. And then I'm trying to get off of this. It was just like this. I mean, people go through this much longer, but mine was like three weeks of having no energy. And I'm like, am I ever going to feel normal again? So I'm coming off of that, but I'm still having a little bit of the chronic fatigue, which is like still messing with me. And like, I've never had any health issues like this. And for people listening and you, if you've ever had like health issues that are physical, those can mess with your mind very quickly. Also on top of the mental stuff we have going on.
2: Oh God, absolutely. (laughs) I I've had a, um, separated shoulder and no doctor will listen to me Mm. or anything else. And now I'm in a place that I can't afford it anyway. And so, yeah, sometimes when it's acting up and it hunches me over, it's, it's, It's weird because it destroys my posture. And at 6'3 and I'm hunched over, there's something about it psychologically in addition to the pain and a guy that, you know, it's kind of hard to get me to take Tylenol anymore. uh, Right. You know, it it, it does. It just, there's no other word. It fucks with your head. And Yep you know you you just are you're worn out i wake up cuz i'm in pain i haven't mm-hmm. slept well so i know what you're talking about and it's just like how do how do i get where's the resilience in this is it the acceptance here's <laughs> life as is uh this is now your base level or right you know, yeah and it's just like ah uh, this is not the base level i want in my daily life
1: no it is not and that's where i like Oh, my God. It And my mom already struggled with chronic fatigue because she had fibromyalgia, but I wasn't aware of this as a young kid. I don't know what's going on with my mom. Like, sure. OK, she has this stuff going on, but that's not really like resonating with me. Um So it's just been like scary. And then this is the month that my mom died. It's like a whole thing. There's like several layers to like this funk that I've been in that I've been trying desperately to pull myself out of. But there's also like the shame that has came with it because of I've been on such this amazing healing journey and I'm like pro mental health, like, oh my God, you got to have self-love. And then now I'm like trying to pull out all the tools that normally work for me. And I'm like, nothing's working. So then the question kept becoming like, well, then am I just supposed to be here? Right. You just said that, like, maybe this is where we're supposed to be for a minute until we figure out something else. So I'm very like um, introspective in terms of always asking, like, why am I feeling this way? What's making, where, where is this happening? And like, I have some answers. And so the biggest answer was totally getting off of Kratom and that's been a bitch <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah a lot of stuff uh scares me now it took a lot for the doctor to convince me uh i know you don't want an ssri let's try welbutrin this is something even with seasonal you can take you can get up you know so
0: yeah. i was like
2: oh okay doc um but i you know what i i tried to and I see it with my kids, both in music lessons and myself, like when I was learning to play guitar and bass and this stuff is that mm-hmm. you kind of get these points and you're like, oh, I'm not expanding anywhere. But there's something weird that can happen with us that if you just stick with it, that things kind of become a little more clear. And I right. have to remind myself of that. It, it's it's uh, I was an avid basketball player in high school and, and uh, the first couple of years of college. And it's weird, you know, 20 something years later the game all of a sudden makes more sense to me. And it's just it's weird how our brains and <laughs> life present us these things and it's you know, sometimes yeah. we do have to sit, meditate, pray, breathe through it, hmm. uh, hit a hit some kind of a meeting, talk with someone, you know, just just for that day, I think where that one time uh, uh, one day at a time thing works really for everybody.
1: It really does. It really does. And I totally... Well, we'll we'll talk more about it, but um, I have several family members. My mom was in recovery for 14 years before she passed away. Um, I used to go to meetings all the time as a little kid, <laughs> loved it.
3: <laughs> the Knocking Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get
2: involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. Let's talk a little more. Childhood was more mom and dad together, separated, divorced.
1: Yeah, so they were married until I was in kindergarten, and then they divorced, and it was me and my brother. So then my brother naturally went with my dad and I stayed with my mom primarily lived with my dad one time for a very, very short span. Um, and just wanted to be back with my mom just cause I'm a woman and she's a girl. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds better. Uh, <laughs> but, um, she had severe, severe trauma in her life and turned to, she was a nurse and, um, she was stealing medication prescription drugs uh this is when we were in portland um and i was in third grade and they she got caught and they gave her an ultimatum they said you either get sober or we're gonna pull your nursing license and i think that that obviously was a thing that scared the shit out of my mom and she got sober after that from the time i was in third grade until she passed away um She relapsed twice. One was literally on a margarita and one was on a beer. She was having like, she was scared to like get married again. And she, she relapsed on that. Um, But yeah, until like, so I really wasn't around alcohol that much after third grade. Mm. Um, I was always around in the program, going to AA dances and, the whole shebang
2: (laughs) (laughs) so you learned how to party sober at a young age yeah yeah exactly did did that really you know it's it's weird for me because you know my dad in recovery over 20 years sober but um oddly even in high like high school when people were getting messed up and stuff like that at parties I still the guy that got people home was sober and stuff like that so it's still odd to me that uh, I didn't hit meetings with my dad. We didn't really talk about it even after his stints and Betty Ford and things like that. So it's did you ever find yourself gravitating towards that area? Or is it something where you're just like, mm, I saw this pattern with my mom and eh, not for me?
1: Oh, no, I definitely drink, <laughs> um, but I I never... To this day, I do not remember my mom's alcohol abuse. I do not remember Mm. her drug abuse. I always saw my mom. She was an extremely, extremely hard worker. So I never remember her being drunk. I never remember her being messed up on pills or anything. Um, Maybe she didn't even do that stuff around me. Maybe she just went to the bars. I know she went to the bars. But there was something definitely instilled with me, like once she did get an AA, there was like, those people are bad, Melissa, don't drink because those people, she didn't, she wouldn't say that, it was just like almost implied. And I think what I realized at a young age is, I always thought it would just be like, you're a high schooler and you're in college and you might drink but then you're an adult and then you're responsible and then it just goes away and there's no such thing as alcoholism. And it's like, no, that can last your whole life if that's the path you choose. Um, So I've asked myself for a long time, if alcohol, like I get really bad anxiety after drinking alcohol the next day. And I'm always like, is this like some conscious thing that I like feel guilty for drinking and like, but my mom knew. I mean, my mom died when I was twenty five. She knew I was drinking. Sure. Um, but I'm always like, do I feel guilty because my mom would say, "Don't drink." But she never said that to me. Like okay. she would, she wanted me to have my own path. She wanted me to re- be responsible. Um. But she was not like, "Don't drink." She yeah. would never say that to me.
2: <laughs> and I think it's an imperative thing. I know that I do that now with, with people, and even my dad was that way. I, you know, he knew I had a problem. Uh, mm-hmm. But he never is just always, you know, son, I'm here if you need to talk. And yeah, and I, and I think that's the best way we can approach anyone. We can't can't force them into whatever it is to open up about anything.
1: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And at that point, I mean, I was 25. So I was like, I was young and I was working at a vodka bar. So we were I was drinking a lot. Um, I just I don't think. That it's ever been a huge problem like i've quit on like for months and it hasn't like um pills have never been an issue for me at all like that shit has always scared me and i'm like i'm good on that no thank you uh but i do think to some extent my brother and i have addictive personalities for sure
2: yeah i see it my brother's never struggled with substances that i'm aware of um mm-hmm. but yeah definitely that uh Hard working, overly deep dive into stuff. I still have trouble shutting off at times and mm. sitting in bed with a girlfriend last night. My daughter's here on the bed and I'm like, I, here I am going through my phone and email for work things. And it's like I literally got still working. Yeah. And I just put the phone down at that. It didn't, didn't need to be. You need to put that down. Like, right. Be present. Be in the moment. It's that's some tough shit for me still.
1: Yeah. Oh, I realized a long time ago that me sitting still was like, I'm not, I'm not doing, I'm not, um, I'm not being productive. And like, I will tell you, my dad's voice is in the back of my head more than anybody's huh. at all. He is, he was so hard on me and my brother when we were little of nothing was ever good enough. We couldn't freaking pick up firewood good enough. We couldn't sweep the floor good enough. We couldn't, um, like, he would tell me not to drink coffee because it was going to stunt my growth. I'm six feet. I am was <laughs> fine there. Uh, it was just everything. He was on us about everything. And that just continued on. Like, he wanted me to be the star basketball player. I was not. Um, wanted me to be a nurse. Did not want to do that. <laughs> So, like all these things, and I was like, oh, I think I disappointed my dad. Then I got pregnant at 16, really probably disappointed him. So, he's always in my head of like, you can do better, you can be better, you need to do this, suck it up, like all this stuff. And unfortunately, that I didn't put that there. Yep. Like he put that there. And sometimes I feel like I'll get off my soapbox in a minute, but like parents don't realize the damage that they're doing because. I get so hard on myself, extremely hard on myself, and I literally sat in the car yesterday I'm like, I did not do this shit to me. I did not. No, this came from somewhere. And I know it was my dad.
2: No, you're absolutely right cuz I was going to ask you about that before you alluded to becoming a mom at 16 was how that affected you with relationships and you know, seeking out a partner. It's mm. it's a big factor. It is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So first of all, me having my daughter at 16 was the greatest blessing ever, ever in my life. And I say that for so many reasons. One, she's 20 years old and she is my absolute best friend. Um, everything, everybody thinks we're sisters, which is great for me. <laughs> um, but she, my mom got to have a grandchild for 10 years before she passed away. And she was with my parents every weekend because that's when I was working because I was in school high school and college. Um, that was a blessing in itself. As far as relationships, I truthfully didn't have a lot of relationships in my 20s. Uh, it was not something I was affected by. It was not mm. something that I really sought out. I i was doing my own thing. Um, I had one serious boyfriend like in my 20s, not for very long. And until I met this boyfriend who it was perfect because we're same age. We've already known each other from high school. Um, he has a kid around the same age as my daughter. So we were on the same path yeah. because I even asked myself, I'm like, at this point, I haven't been married yet. I'm going to have to have a guy that already has kids. Cause I don't necessarily want any more kids. My daughters at this point was like 16, 17 before I dated my boyfriend. Now, um, So it wasn't that hard. I I just stayed single and just talked to guys, but I was never seeking out like, oh, I want to be in a relationship with him. I want to be in a relationship with him. Um, So I I didn't bring too many guys into her life. Thank God.
2: Yeah, that's a good (laughs) thing. I I tried to be pretty discretionary myself after my divorce, but it, it sounds to me, though, you inherently understood a thing that I think a lot of people struggle with, and I—I I definitely did. I, I openly talk about my sex and love addiction, more the love mm-hmm. part, and you mm-hmm. know, sex was a part of it too. But um, is it thinking somebody else and their validation and everything else was going to make me whole? And it, it really took to working my sobriety. Go, there, there's no outside solution to these inside problems. Nobody's going to complete me but me.
1: Yeah, and it's a weird thing that you say that because i was fine single like i truthfully i didn't want to say i prided myself on like not having boyfriends because if the right person would have came along at that time i would not have like pushed them away sure. it just i just was never one of those girls that had to have a boyfriend to feel complete and i do pride myself on that however now that i've been with somebody for almost 6 years So much shit has came out that I've learned about myself that I did not learn when I was single. Like a lot of my traumas from like my dad and all this stuff that like makes me lash out at my boyfriend and have anger issues and insecurity issues and I'm like, oh, this is where all this stuff was. I just didn't see it because I wasn't in a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Melissa, do share what are what
2: are we struggling with here? I know you do coaching. I'm gonna I'm gonna help oh, you out.
1: <laughs> what do I um the biggest thing? I take offense to everything. Oh. And I will I will preface this by saying that my boyfriend is not disrespectful in terms of like he does not name call. He does not say, why did you not cook this? Why did you not do it this way? So that just shows that I'm just like super sensitive in terms of that, because everything I did to for my dad as a kid was just nothing was ever right. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to Brandon, even if he's like, oh, did you happen to get milk at the store? I'm like, well, no, you didn't ask me for milk because I'm like, oh my God, I just disappointed him. He's going to want to leave me because I didn't give him, get him milk. It's like, that's how deep it goes. It's not him being an asshole. And I'm like, I'm just sensitive. Yeah. Um, it's the disappointing people is my biggest issue.
2: And, and thus it snowballs into that immediate thought of fear of abandonment. I can
1: oh, relate. 100%. And then attachment issues also because... Mm. I have fear of abandonment in two layers. First layer is my dad left. Well, they divorced, but then my dad was never actively in my life for the rest of his life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then he. Okay. So then my mom passed away when I was 25. And then my dad just died last year. So yeah. by the age of 35, I had no parents left No. Yeah. So fair, fear of abandonment is like totally real in my my life, which they obviously didn't choose to leave this world, but I still can't help how I feel like I am sad. I don't have parents still here. Um, oh, yeah, it's total fear of abandonment. And he has never given me a reason to make me think that this is shit in my head that I just keep, oh, God, he's going to leave me because of this, because I'm not this or I'm too much that or that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's the stories that, that we like you said. It's not wasn't your voice. It's that other voice. And um, there is no doubt that we get that shit put in our head when we are a kid. It mm-hmm. just happens. You yeah. Know? My, I mean, I can just relate to you and empathize. My dad was overly critical because he was overly, overly critical of himself that came from people that were overly critical yes. and nothing was ever good enough. Uh, as much as I loved and adore my my paternal grandma, it just the day she died, nothing was ever good enough or right. And and my dad carried that brunt and burden of never being enough and good enough. And uh, you know, so what kind of work do you do or or maybe some tools that to, you could share that that communicating with Brandon, your your boyfriend on you know, letting him know and making amends like this, this is me, this is not you, and
1: yeah. So the one thing I'll say is we called it quits um, two years into our relationship. And I'm so glad that we got back together because there was just stuff that we both didn't want to see. And finally, we're like, maybe we should have a conversation. Um, And one of the biggest things that helped me that I will admit to is he would call me on my bullshit a lot of times. Maybe he was not so aware like Melissa's yelling at me because she has daddy issues, but he was aware like she's having a bad day and this actually has nothing to do with Brandon and I'm going to let her know that like, hey, whatever you have going on, this is not me. Slowly but surely I started to realize like, yeah, this has nothing to do with Brandon at all. (laughs) And then as time progressed, it it really was, he would just call me out. And then it was really understanding. Once I started going on my healing journey in 2020, I realized so much of this is my past trauma and how I was raised as a child. And it's really not him. So in terms of tools, if somebody calls you out on something, and he has always been respectful in that term's maybe just say like hey is there some truth to this mm-hmm. i know it's not easy admitting like <laughs> when somebody said like somebody calls you out cuz you just want to get defensive and you're yeah. like no fuck you like no that's but maybe there is truth to it and i literally did have to look inside and be like yeah that's that's not the case here um Not saying it's oh, like, not saying he's perfect and he messes up too. One, the biggest tool is becoming aware and just looking inside and being like, okay, what (laughs) is this true? And unfortunately for him, like, people just think that girls can't be the one that is like mean or rude or angry. They like, I guess sometimes people just think it's just guys that can be. Dicks and I'm like, no, girls can be we can be angry and we can have our own stuff, you know um my biggest my biggest tip would be become aware and asking yourself like where is this coming from? Um I heard something recently like don't ask yourself why this is happening because then you'll just tell yourself a story and we already know the story like for example, why is this happening? Well, it's happening because I have childhood trauma from my dad always being hard on me, but that just keeps me in a loop and just keeps me believing the story yep. instead of actually doing something about it. Well, how how could you react better next time? Or how can you notice this trigger faster where you don't take it out on your boyfriend and you recognize it and stop that behavior pattern, thought, belief, whatever um, quicker? Well, I I
2: Thank you for sharing that, because I think it sits people uh, in the victim mentality, which mm. is the worst mm-hmm. place to be, because, yes, as a child, we are a victim of these things, uh, you know, uh, abusive talk to a child. that's child abuse. It's a form of child abuse. It just it just is uh, right. anything anything less than loving is. And right. so that's the hard part when we become an adult especially with the intimacy you have to build in a trusting relationship to be able to trust the other person and like you said it sounds like Brandon does it with cooth and compassion yeah. and you know he's, he's not like look here bitch you know it's like you know <laughs> he's just like i it's it's so important to shed that victim mentality and i think once you can our mind opens up to really hearing that other Person, uh, like I shared before yeah. we started recording, you know, sitting there working on the cell phone, daughter, girlfriend, they're talking in our room and I'm next to them. And then it's like still working. It's like it wasn't, it wasn't a rude question. It wasn't a <laughs> stop doing that. It was, it was simply a polite question. And, I, and it was that reminder because I've shared, uh, help me be in the moment more because yeah. I, I get obsessed with work and I let these moments pass that are fleeting quickly. Like you said, your daughter's 20. Mm -hmm. I got a 14 year old son, a soon to be 13 year old daughter. And it's like, how did I get here already?
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. That is exactly it. And having that person, I I mean, I've learned so much with being in the relationship with him and how I react to people. Um, It has taught me a lot and then not freaking out on him.
2: <laughs> i i I hope more of these conversations are happening around because we really have to break that uh Hollywood mentality of how the relationship goes, and if there isn't a ton of friction and crazy passion and all these things, like no, all that stuff's activating your nervous system it's, it's 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 snorting people, it's no different than than popping a pill, putting something up your nose, pounding twenty beers, whatever it is,
1: yeah. It's interesting that you say that because I've had my own issues with like I I'm a Leo as are you so yep. I'm like a lover through and through um my boyfriend is not the most affectionate person and forever I always criticized him for that mm. um and I made him feel bad for that but like in ways that like you don't you don't touch me so then you must not like me where he was not raised in a affectionate household. Um, And that in turn, like would mess with me where now I have, like, I have this awareness that not everybody grows up in this. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not saying we were always hugging, but clearly I'm affectionate. So my parents did something right to that regard, but did his parents do something wrong? Or maybe they weren't brought up giving hugs and, and stuff like that. Um, I'm going on a tangent and I, forgot my thought (laughs) process here but just realizing that we all come from different paths and we're all working with each other um and that not everything has to be movie and hollywood related or just being okay in a moment that doesn't have to be so grand and that's where i sometimes struggle
2: me too and it's not anything that 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 Cassandra does or doesn't do I I have to really catch myself that th- these are my thoughts this is my mm-hmm. stuff this is my thing uh, you know the the uh you know I mean the kids are with us all the time which is great mm-hmm. it's not a complaint but it doesn't really lend uh, along with our budget right now as everything gets more and more expensive uh doesn't right. really lend to getting a a romantic date on the coast and staying at a night, you know, and all these things that I keep telling myself, well, boy, I better do and let her know and, and, and let her know she's valid in this relationship and all these things. And it's like, this is a shit that's up in my head. (laughs) It's the stuff that, that, that I repeated with that love addiction part that I was showing the other person, all these wonderful things, going to all the concerts or whatever. And the reality uh, behind it all was I'm sitting, quietly stressed out because my credit card bills are going up. My debt Mm. is rising. My stress level to keep up this, this story is ever building. And it just
1: is, it's exhausting. It is exhausting. It, It is so exhausting. And something, something my boyfriend has told me over and over, like I've, I have this picture of him in my head that is just like such a jerk because i am so my biggest fear i told you is fear of abandonment so i'm scared that one day he how do i explain this um do you know about attachment like attachment issues yes and so apparently with attachment issues depending on the type or maybe all of them i don't know like You think that there is something inside you that, like, if if the world finds out, they're just gonna like up and leave you, or your friends, or your boyfriend, or you're they're just gonna be like, what you? But there's it's like there's nothing really inside of you. You just think there is, and so that is like always plaguing me. But he's like he'll do something, and I just freak out. And he's like, you have this picture in my head that I'm gonna do this or react this way and it's not true and that is just stories in my head that Mm -hmm. i think i'm deserving of him to act the other way like well why would he not stay out till three in the morning with his friends Mm -hmm. well no he won't he'll actually come home at a decent time i just think this because that's what i think i'm deserving of
2: (laughs) no i I went through it uh
1: (laughs) Many times,
2: Melissa, I I guess I could share this story and not naming names, but the yeah, I'm going to go to this concert with my buddies in in the concert, you know, big rock concert. And then the story is played out. Well, you're going to come home or you're not going to come home at all because, of course, there's going to be a woman there because of who you are. And then they're going to come up to you and you're going to be vulnerable, that you know, and it's like this whole thing. And, and it I just ended up for me, sadly, just shutting down and just being like, I don't go anywhere. I don't do anything. Mm. And and I know, you know, both sides really do this uh, to each yeah. other. They they can men, women. I, I don't care whatever your relationship status. <laughs> you know, if you're in a non-binary, people can just do this to each other in relationships because of the stories we tell ourselves with that, that fear of abandonment. And it yeah, and it sucks because the only way to build trust is to trust.
1: <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> it's all we can do is, okay, you're Brandon, you're gonna go and have some drinks with your buddies and you'll be home around midnight. Right. And the only way you can let him prove it and that his mm. word matters, integrity, which people confuse integrity and morality and all these things all the time. No, integrity is that word and following through and doing it, you know, or yep, whatever it is. And it and it's hard. It's mm-hmm. hard, you know, mm-hmm. I've had it where, where the girlfriend's like, uh, I'm going to go visit my, my parents. And and because of m- my traumas in relationships, it's like, is she really going to see her parents. <laughs> She's been gone for like seven hours. <laughs> you know." And it's like, how stupid is that? That, you know, it's like, uh, I get the text message here. safe at my folks. Let you know when I'm coming home. Okay. And I just have to sit in that mode of trust. Yeah. You know, but and she's never done anything.
1: Right. Oh, that's what makes Brandon the most mad. It's because he's (laughs) never done anything to be mistrusting. But yet that's why he's like, you paint me as this picture, but I've never done anything. Like, never have I done anything for you to mistrust me. But yet it's like I'm guilty before I have even like have walked out the door or something. Um, Yeah, it's just being being scared that he's gonna leave me but it's weird because it's not the it's not the normal stuff like it's not i'm not like you're gonna go cheat on me you're gonna go do this because i've had my own issues of being worried he was just gonna die because i've lost a lot of people that i love sure and i'm like oh my god um so it's not as crazy as it's it's not like always like this big blowout thing like you're gonna do something but then sometimes it can be in my head. I'm like, "Oh god. What's going to happen?"
2: Well, and it, it it's so tough when we it, it's the weird nuances of love, right? Uh, that mm. I know I can play out those stories too because just like that, the you know, th- then it's like, "Oh my gosh, it's 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 been 5 or 6 hours. Um is she safe?" Like right. it immediately turns to, "She's safe." Like, you know, I I just adore this person and what we're building together and uh, you know, and, and I get off into that area uh, as well. <laughs> My mind yeah. runs and poor lady, but uh, I've done a better job of having it calm and cool and not the 9 million text messages, although I was never overly that guy, but, um, but it goes there.
1: Yeah. Even if it's in your head, it'll drive you freaking nuts.
2: Right. Or when they do <laughs> come home, you're completely shut down and it's, I'm glad you're home. <laughs> <laughs> are you really Oh, (laughs) oh. you're acting like a little shit you know (laughs) so you know i i I gotta catch that i gotta you know like immediately instead of instead of that is how are your folks how you know how was it did the (laughs) check-in instead you know and it's 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 hard to flip from the the mindset (laughs) of of me 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 to how was your experience you know
1: oh f that this just happened to me and him (laughs) I'm going to share the story really quick. We have great friends that live in our neighborhood that we just recently became friends with in the last year and they hang out a lot. He um, teaches Brandon guitar. He's like an amazing guitarist, bassist in St. Louis. And uh, they went to go bring over some of our food that we had for dinner to one of the band members. That's literally 30 seconds away. Well, that 10 minute ride turned into two hours and I wound up just like coming home and brandon walked in the door and i'm in bed and he just came to try to immediately give me a hug and kiss me and he's like babe i am so sorry and i just was like i i literally shut down and i was like i did i did not even say anything i didn't even say are you and then he was he was like fuck you he's like i literally am sorry um and he had already texted me and told me like hey these like They're talking. They won't shut up. Like, I'm trying to get out of here. And he tried to apologize and I wasn't having it. And that was totally not the right response. (laughs) I I should not have been that way. I should have been like, babe, I get it. And yeah, that's a whole thing.
3: 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of knocking doors down go to 5150ltm.com and enter code kdd20 and receive 20 percent off your purchase that's 51 dot com. l-t-m.com
2: how'd you make amends
1: mm, well the next well the next he didn't even sleep in the room that night he was like oh. i literally did nothing wrong he's like i was in communication with you and he totally was um I just saw it in my head differently. Like you could speak up and tell your friends you could go and whatever. Um, But we, we had that conversation and he literally said, babe, this is the first time this has ever happened. He's like, but you always literally just want to execute me. The very first time that something's happened And like I said, this has not happened a lot. So the first time I'm just like, Oh, it's over. Like he doesn't respect me. He doesn't care. He doesn't whatever. And it's, that's, it's not true.
2: Yeah. It becomes a control factor, don't you you think? Um, or at least yes. from my experience, yes. it, it totally totally becomes one. And again, it's looking for that outside solution to to our internal problems.
1: It was totally about control because it wasn't like he was he literally when I texted him, I said, Where are you? He took a picture of he's like, Look, they're literally FaceTiming with their other bandmate. I'm here, I'm trying to get out. And it was, it totally was about control. And it's just, it all goes back to, am I just going to be forgotten about? Am I just going to be forgotten about?
2: Right. And we even play it out to, uh, I, I don't know about you. I've done this. I've not ended many relationships, but when I did is like, ah, see, I'm the one that w- had the power. I'm the one that ended it.
1: Okay. So tell me if uh, I can shut down really quick in terms of like, if we were to, end it then i'm like all of a sudden okay because i it's like okay now i have to go in the survival mode again i'm probably not explaining it very well no you are but it's something like leo's are just naturally like once we're like once it's done we're just like fine okay never mind um but i also think it's a like defense mechanism too
2: yeah uh, well we we, we we pride ourselves in loyalty
1: yeah um, oh yeah
2: but yeah, total defense mechanism. You know, I I yep, see, everything that I told myself would be true is true. I'm the one that's taking control of it. I'm in charge of my life, and it's ridiculous because there's you know, certainty's yeah. great, uncertainty is necessary. We have to accept all these things and kind of at times take our hands off the wheel and enjoy the ride.
1: I know. <laughs> Freaking A. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh I, I don't even know
1: who brandon is and i love him already he's a good guy he's a good guy yeah you tell him that yeah i do good. i do probably yeah. not enough
2: yeah it's it's one of the things where you, have you ever had people s- when you try to talk to them and you know well you know we'll say susie miss mm-hmm. x whatever it is and and they're talking about that, their partner, or whatever. And it's like, well, do you tell them that? And they go, well, they know. No, mm. they fucking don't know. They don't know unless you tell them. Yeah. And better that, yet, show them.
1: Right. And that's where. Yeah, I, I don't think I tell him enough because this is where I think my affection is enough where mm. he's never said it's not. He's never not like, oh, you need to do this more. But I feel like there's also ways that I know that he would prefer to be shown that I love him. You know, like I think his I do truthfully believe his love language is like acts of service Mm -hmm. um, where mine is affection. And it's like, where how do we like show each other certain things? Um, But this man will buy me a gift every single time that he literally goes to the store i don't care if it's a candle a bottle of wine he bought me and my daughter these stupid like not stupid keychain chargers he's just always thinking of me whenever like he's at the store that's his that's his love language gifts upon gifts upon gifts um and i have to recognize that like this is how he shows me he loves me yeah our love languages are not the same but Melissa, look at everything he's done for you.
2: And that's a real challenge when we have someone that, that that's different. I'm a I, I'm a big touch and affirmation person. Mm-hmm. You know, I like good one-on-one. You know, uh, you know, vulnerable conversations. And and so you know, you have somebody that's the same way. Hey, great, cool. If you don't, then you do have to do that work and go. (laughs) You know, like, did I really need this? But then you have to, like you said, look at the the overall arch of the person. That wow, this is him. Like you said, he's out and about, and he's always thinking about me. You know,
1: right? So you know,
2: it's that's what,
1: as they say, relationships are hard. Yes, life (laughs) is hard, and right, all the yes, all the above, making everything
2: work. I want to ask you about your coaching because you do offer coaching work as well, you know, through all your experience and, and um, you know, the working with the trauma, the I don't know. Let me get your opinion before. Do we ever totally heal from trauma or do we just find a way to accept and navigate life and maybe frame it differently?
1: Mm. I don't know that. That is a great question because I told you I was doing good. Yeah. I finally started my healing journey with my mom 10 years after she died. Thought I was great until all this stuff just happened recently and it brought up so much stuff. So then I'm like, okay, well, there's more healing to be done. Um, And then the question became, is it acceptance? Do I still need to keep accepting this stuff? I feel like people would say that, yes, you can heal from it. I feel like each new experience might possibly trigger something. Not even necessarily trigger, but it might bring up something that you thought you were healed from, but then you're not. So the, yeah. I will say there's always work that could be done. Yeah,
2: I, I, I agree. Well, and I, and I think our brain, you know, I mean, you had so much go on. For you that, you know, like the age that your mom passed, your brain hadn't even reached maturation, mm. you know? And so as it, you know, you, you give yourself 10 years when I hear that. And it's like, Ooh, took me 10 years was, I, I know for me, a lot of the trauma, you know, there was new trauma introduced. So I never even got to deal with the old trauma, let alone the new stuff. So by the time I got, you know, free and clear headed, <laughs> I didn't even start working sobriety till I was 40, you know, so I yeah. never got to deal with it. Parts of my brain and this stuff was was very young still. And uh, for me, I just I, I try to equate and take any of that back to purpose. You know, am I taking that and being of service to others, which I'm going to commend you because you are. And so maybe Thank throw you. that in your head. <laughs> when when it's there that that you know sharing your story and and being there for others as you are it it lifts that burden, it lightens that weight,
1: yeah, and you make such a great point about the the traumas because I did not know these words truthfully until twenty twenty when mm-hmm. like I really started asking myself, what is going on with me, why am I sad, Where is this coming from? And then I learned so much so quickly between having mental health experts on my podcast to doing my own work. Um, Yeah, like you said, I had trauma at the age of 25 of losing my mom, but then I still have childhood trauma from my dad. And it's like, which one am I dealing with healing from? Which one am I going to attack first? Um, Yeah, there's a song I don't know if you know who Trevor Hall is, but he's like folk singer, but he okay. literally has a song and he's constantly saying the work is never done. And I took that as like the healing work is never done sure. because you, you might think you're healed and people might be saying, no, but I really am healed. And I'm not saying you're not, but I have found that I'm, I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And then enter experience, something happens. And then I'm like, oh shit, now I have to do I want to say, redo it, but I have to process this all again and figure out which tools I'm going to use for this thing that happened and came up. And yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, and, and I think that's part of it. New tools, new mm-hmm. tools, new tools. Uh, you know, I don't know about you. It could be a little thick headed and I don't, um, I don't always listen. It, and sometimes people have to be a little bit, I don't know if sensitive is the right word, but. I'm receptive of certain types of talk. Okay. You know, and and communication to me. Others, you can shut me down really quick. Like if it if it's a tit for tat or or it's clearly a situation of keeping score quickly, like I did this for you. And how could you, you know, it's like I'm out right away. Yeah. And you put me down, oh, forget it. At that point, I am totally out. You you've lost me.
1: Yeah. That's that's definitely interesting. Well, sometimes I, in terms of conversations and where I shut down, my boyfriend is such a positive person, does not suffer from victim mentality, um, where sometimes I can get in my head a lot more. And sometimes his conversations are not helpful because he'll just say, (laughs) because you want
2: to wallow, don't you? yes (laughs)
1: yes <laughs>
2: Hey, welcome <laughs> to the club
1: i know and i'm like but that's not right i don't need to sit here and feel sorry for myself but how the f do i pull myself out of it so sometimes when he says those things like don't cry i'm like that's not fucking productive that's not helping me <laughs>
2: yeah well and I, but i think uh, there's certain things too uh, you know i i i i hate the term uh, or I guess it's not a term but when people say things like just get over it, don't cry, um or you don't need to cry, any of those things it's like no, you you don't just get over it. You you right. learn to incorporate it and let it make you a more complete whole person and especially for men, you know, I came from the put some dirt on it. And it's like no, I've worked really hard to try to be a vulnerable per- man in right. the right in the right settings, of course um, and show my emotions in a healthy way. So yeah, don't ever tell me that. And don't ever tell me just get over it because no, you just don't get over it. It's like, if, if, you know, let's process this stuff, let's, let's let's see where we're at. Let's, let's step out of that victim mentality. Life is not something that happens to you. Uh, you know, not anymore. You're an adult now. There is a difference. So,
1: you
2: know, I, I don't know. Let's talk your work. Let's talk your coaching work.
1: Let's do it. So I basically call myself a self love coach. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's where I feel like I've struggled with the most is like self-worth issues. Um, and I really try to just help people with things that I have definitely have reconciled in the past, like two years. Um, and everything that I've learned, because I feel like there's some people that are still in stages that they might not even realize why self issues are happening, where self issues, um, self worth issues, and it doesn't just have to be self worth. It can be you know lacking confidence, and um, I really want to help people with that. My biggest thing that makes me sad is people not feeling good enough. Because mm-hmm. I told you, somebody put that there. And I want to help people figure out why and what we can do to get you feeling better. Um, so that's what I call myself a self love coach.
2: I love it. <laughs> and it's and you're right. It just you know the more experts I talk to, so many that that voice, that negative voice, it's never in my own voice, like you said. Yeah. Never. Mm-mm. But it makes it hard to sit there and look in the mirror and go. I love you. You're you're good enough. You're worthy just the way you are, you know, because as a kid, I, you know, I want to be like Hulk Hogan big and, you know, like this guy. And I'm just never I'm just this tall, twiggy dude. And it's what I am. And it doesn't mean I'm any less worthy of love. I'm not right. going to headline WrestleMania. Oh, well, but, <laughs> you know, that's just that's
1: life. You never know. Maybe they'll come out with a different type of wrestling.
2: <laughs> uh, it's changed. You know, you can get smaller guys now, but you know, I could pull it off, rip off the shirt. Let's go, brother.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's hilarious.
2: Well, before we get to random questions, and I leave you with the final thought, Melissa, if people want to find out more about it, you, get a hold of you, inquire about the coaching, the podcast, all the awesome work you're doing, how, how can they do so?
1: Yeah. They can find everything at the com. Everything's there. Um socials you just scroll all the way to the bottom that's all there so it's a nice one little pretty bow at that website
2: yeah and it's a wonderful website folks too it's very easy to navigate which i i was going through it all i'm like i can find whatever i want to know <laughs> it's right here uh, Good. <laughs> do you ever get look back and go wow i had the perfect last name to do this man uh, there was a plan for me early on
1: yes yes I'm like, branding is on point. it's perfect <laughs> <laughs> <All right.
2: laughs> what 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 does your uh, daughter think of the work that you do?
1: uh, she likes it she yeah. I think she's really proud of me. um she's grown up with me, and she's had to see me you know go through my own stuff with like missing my mom and everything, so I definitely think she's proud of me, but just like with my mom is, she probably won't understand the impact. Not impact, but like it'll hit her later in life, you know. Like, oh, she's very like mental health realm, like sure. definitely. Um, but she's kind of in her own little world too, so I think she'll realize later, like, oh, this is what this is what mom was doing. Okay, yeah. of
2: course she's twenty, right? Exactly, <laughs> when were exactly. Her own world, right? Yep, exactly. Uh, that segue out is hard. I know, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> goodness all right let's have some fun random questions for you um what's the last song you listened to
1: oh god um it had to be kings of leon um i don't even know it's a newer song i was just listening to my google my siri my speaker
2: right on i love kings of leon i love great, kings of Leon. So great much. band and we all and gotta I- admit the first time we heard sex on fire we like oh that's a great fucking song <laughs> it's such such a great great song it is uh if you could have one superpower
1: what would it be oh i'm flying are you why because i want to like see everything down here down on yeah go up on mountains i guess that's a shitty superpower it probably could have been more
2: no, it isn't. There's nothing about it. I mean, Jesus, with the, with the way TSA and air travel is domestically right now. I mean, come on. Right. You know, exactly. You, you figure if you can fly, you have the strength to strap all your luggage to your back, too. And just, two people. Right? <laughs> Let's see. You want to go to Bora Bora? Let's go. Exactly. Uh, if you could travel anywhere in time, but you had to stay there, when would it be? Uh, where would it be and why?
1: I have said this forever, even though I don't smoke weed, but I'm like going back to Woodstock. Was it 69? I believe so. Whatever. That just seemed like such a such a great time. I, I know it wasn't probably, but it seemed like a lot of fun. Maybe I would have done more drugs back then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
2: afraid if I was that. I always tell people, you know, as a big fan of like 80s rock. Primarily Motley Crue, Metallica, stuff like that. I'm afraid if I lived at that time and was on the Sunset Strip, I wouldn't be here. There's no way.
1: That's what I'm saying. I don't think my life would have turned out the right same way, but it seemed like it was fun. Like Just like you, music has been such a huge influence. So I'm like, that just seems like a great, great time. What is something
2: that, uh, that people might be surprised to learn about you? Maybe something you don't share on the podcast or through your work?
1: I swear, somebody has asked me this before, and I thought of it later. Um, Let's say that, well, I used to want to be a songwriter. Really? Because I wrote a lot of poems. <laughs> so I'm like, maybe I can turn that into doing songwriting. I did not do that. <laughs> but before anything, like, I... Was obsessed with music. I don't know why I didn't go to school for music. Sure. Um, I was like, maybe I can work at Pandora. This is like when Pandora came out, and I was like trying to figure out all whatever I could do with music. Um, that's what people don't know about me.
2: That's cool. I love it. Do you have any particular genres that you like, or are you pretty open to?
1: Dude, I love everything. I will go from gangster rap to country to alternative. I mean, all of it. Same. That's when you know. I when someone tells you i'm a
2: music lover and then you ask them their taste and it's just this, this singular <laughs> genre it's like no you like what you like that's that's not exactly loving you know it's like but if somebody goes oh yeah i went from chopin to snoop dogg to to metallica to you know to prince or whatever it's like oh okay yeah you okay. are a lover of music I, <laughs> right <okay."> exactly <laughs> um we, we uh we produce the bright side of life movie who's playing you
1: Oh my god! Um, like an actress now? Mm-hmm. Any actress, anytime. This is a hard one. Okay, let's say Jennifer Garner. All right. I don't know why, but I love her. I could see it. Her or Catherine Heigl?
2: Oh, Catherine Heigl would be great. Yeah. yeah. I like. I her. love it yeah so do i uh last one here before i leave you with the final thoughts what do you think is your greatest achievement
1: starting my podcast yeah and helping people yeah definitely yeah besides having my daughter see damn then you immediately (laughs) regret. you're you're like shit (laughs) Uh, recent achievement
2: Well, I, you know, I would commend you and 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 give you some kudos. Not just, uh, you know, having your daughter being a single mom at sixteen, but but raising a good person. I think that's a, that's a real sign of of the work put in.
1: Yeah, and she is a great freaking kid. Thank you, baby Jesus. Thank you, baby Jesus. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I like to picture my Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm just whatever one I'm grateful. <laughs> uh Melissa,
2: I like to leave the guests with the final thoughts. They're just through your experience that you can lend to the listener, that perspective about life struggles, whatever it is.
1: Yeah. So I really think to encompass this whole episode is i think we're all just kind of we are just all going through life trying to figure it out um learning coping learning some more figuring out different strategies how to enjoy life how to have a balanced life we're all in this together and so we shouldn't feel alone even though we feel like we're the only person out on this planet going through something we're really not and so hopefully through our conversations you're like oh shit yeah that sounds like me Now you know you're not alone. Strengthening communities, providing
3: resources, building awareness, empowering youth in need to overcome adversity and achieve success. This is what the Carlos Vieira Foundation is all about. Through our campaigns, the Race for Autism, Race to End the Stigma, and Race to Be Drug Free, we're able to help so many in need. Our goal is to provide support to families and children and give these families opportunities that might not normally arise. Learn more and find out how you can get involved.
0: While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors privacy is of the utmost importance to us for those wishing anonymity people places and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests this website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.